Thank you, ladies, for your playing this morning. Worship is sweet, isn't it? It's so good to worship together and to lift our voices in song. I want to pray before we go to the Word together. Let's ask God to have our attention today. Speak to us and teach us from His Word. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we thank You for this opportunity that we have to gather the fellowship, to worship, to lift our voices in praise because You are completely worthy. We're so thankful for the love demonstrated through Jesus Christ. The love that we can enjoy because of Christ. The fellowship that we can enjoy because of Christ. The fellowship not only with one another, but with you. Fellowship with God and fellowship with Christ because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. And so, Lord, as we come together this morning, I pray that you would soften our hearts to the the truth of the gospel. That you would direct our thoughts today, direct our attention to your word and help us to to learn and be challenged and then to grow in Christ's likeness and faithfulness to you and your word. Lord, I pray that you would use these feeble lips to share your truth today. And Lord, I pray that you would allow the things that that come from this mouth that are unprofitable and unhelpful to be forgotten very quickly. But Lord, I pray that your word would not be forgotten, that your truth would remain in our hearts and strengthen us in our walk with you. And so, Lord, we come to you and we pray asking for your wisdom and your guidance and your strength through the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take your copy of the Scriptures, would you, and turn with me to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. Colossians, chapter 1. In our last study in Colossians, we saw how Paul was praying for the Colossian believers. This is our third study in Colossians as we began the new series of studies. I want to just stop right here for a moment and insert a little commercial message. If you would like to keep up with these messages, we want to make them available to you. They're available in two ways. We can can give them to you on audio cassette or on CD. Um, or you can go to our church website and listen to them there, okay? And I think it would be profitable for you to follow along. If you miss a Sunday, I want you to try to catch up and, and, and stay with us. If you'll say something to me or one of the guys in the sound room, Kevin's back there this morning, Taylor, my other son um, of uh, tall stature, is uh, back there from time to time. And um, if you would say something to one of us, we'll get you those, these uh, sermons on tape or CD, or you can go to the website and listen to them. We try to get them up as early in the week as possible. I say that because it's important, the study that we're looking at together. We, we need God's Word. We need to see the flow of the truth from beginning to end. And verse by verse, I think this is so helpful for us to study together through this book of Colossians. And as we studied last time in Colossians, we saw how Paul was praying for the Colossian believers And I think it was greatly helpful. It was very helpful to me, and I hope it was helpful to you as we talked about how to pray for one another. And we learn from from Paul's praying for the Colossian believers how we ought to be praying for ourselves and how we ought to be praying for one another. And after Paul explained to the church how he had been praying for them, he went on to remind them how it was the answers to his requests could be fulfilled. 
And we're going to look at that this morning. How was it that they could be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, as we noted in verse 11 last time? How is it that Jesus could have glorious might? How is it that Jesus, this man from Galilee we speak of, how is it he could be glorious in might? The Gnostics, I say that because the Gnostics that the believers in Colossae were dealing with by their beliefs and teaching were calling into question the truth about Christ. Now that has not changed. In the culture in which we live, the truth about Christ is constantly being assaulted. And it was true then. It's true today. They were challenging, the Gnostics were challenging the truth that Jesus was God incarnate, God in human flesh. They believed that the Spirit was good. They believed that the Spirit was holy. But they believed that anything material, including human flesh, was, was bad. Spirit, good. Flesh, bad. Material things, bad. So they contended that Christ could not be, could not have come as a, as a man in human flesh. He had to be. And this was their explanation. Well, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll contend that Jesus is God, but he's not God in human flesh. He's a spirit, a ghost. Which, which, had that been true, would be disastrous for your faith and mine. Okay? It was not true. Their argument was that Jesus could not have had a body of human flesh because that would have put him in contact with matter. Had he been God in human flesh, had he created the universe, he had, been, he had created the universe, he would have touched matter. Okay? And that would have soiled him. That would have uh, caused great corruption on, on him. So they said, no, that Christ could not have been one who came in human flesh. That was one of the major things that the, the Colossian church was dealing with in their time. Warren Wiersbe says that the results of these false teachings were tragic, including extreme asceticism on the one hand and unbridled sin on the other. After all, if your body is sinful, you either try to enslave it or you enjoy it. You know, you go over the top. What we find in our text today, specifically verses 15 through 20 in chapter 1, is a wonderful explanation by Paul about why Jesus is glorious in might. This is all about why Christ is sufficient for all, for everyone to turn to for saving faith. How is it Christ is capable? How is it Christ is glorious in might? Paul gives the answers in these verses 15 through 20. And the way Paul does this is to give us a beautiful, a beautiful landscape of the supremacy of Christ. Christ is sufficient because he is supreme. And these passages, these verses here in verses 15 through 20 are like stepping back to look at a beautiful landscape. Have you ever done that? You all have, right? Um, last summer, our family went camping in the Upper Peninsula for a week. And um, we didn't camp at the Porcupine Mountains, but we took a day trip to the Porcupine Mountains. And we got there, and there's this, this road that drove straight up this monstrous hill, brand new black top road in the middle of the state park there at the Porcupine Mountains. And we drove and drove and drove and drove. Have you ever been there? Straight up this hill. We get to the top and there's this parking area and picnic benches and we were hungry so we broke out our lunch and we ate and we fought the flies. The flies were nasty that day. I'd never seen anything like them. What, what are those things? 
Uh, they weren't normal flies. They were on steroids or something, you know. That's a side, that's a rabbit trail. Anyway, we enjoyed our lunch, you know, like this. We got done. We walked up this little footpath, just, you know, 50 yards or so from the parking lot. And when we stepped out, it was like, whoa. We were on top of the mountain. We were like, whoa, look at the scenery. Look. You, I, we've got a picture, but this is not mine. Show, show us the picture, Kevin. Have you got it there handy? There it is. What we saw was the lake, lake of the clouds. Have you ever seen it before? I took pictures, but I was too lazy to go looking for them. This is not mine. We ha- we've had this for a long time. We use it. We put it up with the songs occasionally. That's Lake of the Clouds up at the top of Porcupine Mountain. We looked, and it's way better than the picture, and I realized that the lighting kind of ruins it for you. I can see it here really nicely. It's beautiful scenery. And all I wanted to do was take pictures and take pictures, and we wanted to stay and look and look and look, and it was beautiful, beautiful landscape. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Thank you, Kevin. Colossians, 15, Colossians 1, 15 through 20 is like a beautiful landscape of Christ's supremacy. You want to see how supreme Christ is? Come back to Colossians 1, 15 through 20 again and again and again. Let's look at it together. We find in this text today, in these verses, 15 through 20, how, how wonderful Christ is. This wonderful explanation by Paul about why Jesus is glorious in might. This is important for us. Each one of us needs to know why Jesus is powerful, why he is glorious in might, why we can depend upon him. We've come to this passage that is like this beautiful landscape describing the supremacy of Christ. So I want you to sit back and just take in the beauty of the supremacy of Christ today. There's hardly a better passage in Scripture to go to for a clear presentation of Christ's supremacy in such concise terms. This is a very important topic for us all because if we can grasp and understand how supreme Christ is over all things, how sufficient he is to to meet all of our needs, how sufficient he is for all of life, for all of godliness, then I think we'll have no need to be drawn to any other source. You see, Christ is all we need. There's no need to be drawn to any source than Christ for necessary knowledge of God, for spiritual growth, and for experience of God's grace, and for for help in time of difficulty than Jesus Christ. And we need to know that. So look with me at Colossians 1, verse 15 and following. I'm going to read these verses to you from the English Standard Version this morning. I want you to follow along in your copy of God's Word, okay? Verse 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth, or in heaven, making peace.
by the blood of his cross. Now in verse 15, Paul begins to tell the Colossian believers of Christ's relationship to creation. And Paul goes head on here with the falsehood that the Gnostics taught about Christ not actually appearing in human flesh. If we look, if we were to go back, and you can do this, go back and look at verses 13 and 14, we see that Paul concluded his prayer with this thought about Christ. In verses 13 and 14, he says, He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Question. You don't, I don't need you to answer this. I just want you to listen and think about it with me. How can Christ deliver us from the domain of darkness and transfer us or transplant us to the kingdom of light? How can Christ redeem us? How can Christ be capable of providing for us forgiveness of sins? That's a pretty tall order, don't you think? The answer begins in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Paul says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, anybody see God? If you see God, we need to talk, okay? You can't see God, all right? We have an invisible God, don't we? All right? Paul says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Our God is invisible, yet as Romans 1.20 indicates, the whole world ought to be aware of God's existence. I'll go one further. The whole world is aware of God's existence. Because Romans 1.20 says, because of his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, which, my word, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. God's divine nature is, is still obvious to us, isn't it? All you have to do is look out the window. And you say, yeah, it's obvious that there's a God. All right? It's still obvious to us throughout creation, but in Jesus, God chose to reveal himself more fully. God chose to reveal himself more fully through Jesus Christ. And I want you to note that this does not mean that he is merely like God. He is not a representation of God in the fact that he is not God. It's not like he's like God. It's not like he is similar to God. Okay, here's something like God. Take a look at Jesus. No. Hebrews 1.3 says of Christ that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Christ is God in human flesh, and it's because Christ is God's revelation of himself to mankind that he is, as verse 15 continues, Firstborn of all creation. Now, with that phrase, firstborn of all creation, I want you to be careful with that statement because the language here might make us think that Jesus is a created being. And that is not the case. He is not. And that's not what is meant here. It simply means that Christ is, he is preeminent. 
Okay? Christ is preeminent. He is over all. And verse 16 and 17 confirm this truth. Look at them again. Verse 16, for by him all things were created. Which things? All things, including in heaven and on earth. Anything else? Well, as a matter of fact, yes. Things visible and invisible. Anything else? Yep. All things, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. Oh, and this too. And in him all things hold together. Jesus Christ is supreme because he is the creator, and as creator he is not something like God. He is God. He is not in any way less than God. He is God. And not only is Christ creator, verse 17 says that Christ sustains all things. He is Lord over all creation. Can you imagine the galaxies? I can't. I can try to imagine how vast the galaxies are. And scientists keep studying. What was it we heard this week on the radio? We were joking about it at the dinner table a few days ago. They discovered some planet or something they think might have life on it. The only problem is it's like 100 million years away. You know, how are we ever going to get there before we croak? You know? Think about it. He's Lord over creation. That too. Whatever that was they discovered. That too. All of it. Again, in Hebrews 1.3 it says of Christ that He upholds the universe by the word of His power. The problem through the ages has been and remains today as Ligon Duncan notes that today he says there are many people who belong to denominations of Christian churches that do not believe that Jesus is divine. And that gives me just a chill to think about it. Because there are churches that don't believe what we're talking about today. They believe, he says, that Jesus was a good man. They believe that he had wise sayings. They believe that he had things that he taught that could help us in our daily living. But they do not believe that he is divine. As far as the Apostle Paul is concerned, if Jesus is not divine... We are undone. We might as well give it all up, pack it in, and go home, because if Jesus is not divine, he cannot release us from the powers of darkness. He cannot free us from sin. He cannot bring us into the glorious light of God, and we are still in our sins, the Apostle Paul says. See, that's the danger of not believing that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. So how is it Christ could qualify the Colossian believers to share in the inheritance of the saints of light, as verse 12 says? How is it that Jesus Christ could could qualify us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light? How could Jesus possibly deliver the Colossian believers and us from the domain of darkness and transfer us to his kingdom? Because he's God. He's God in human flesh. He can and he does because he is God in human flesh. He created the universe that we enjoy. He created it. 
He was there before anything else existed. He sustains it and he holds it all together. You and I need a very clear understanding of Christ's relationship to creation and all things in it and his superiority and his supremacy over it all. And we need it because if we're going to properly understand the challenges that we face, if we're probably going to be able to deal with the challenges that we face as believers, and who among us doesn't have difficulties and challenges and hardships and heartbreak and suffering and things to deal with every week? If you're going to be equipped to deal with those things, because they're not going away, okay? Things sometimes get worse before they get better, all right? If you're going to be able to deal with those things, you need to know that Jesus Christ is supreme. He is in control. He is superior. Know and understand Jesus' relationship to creation and his superiority over all things and all persons and all events. Next, Paul points to Christ's relationship to the church. I want you to look at verse 18 again. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now Paul states that not only is Christ supreme over creation, he's supreme over the church as well. Now an important outworking of this truth is that since Christ is the head of the body, that the body is the church, okay? Scripture often refers to the body of Christ, meaning the church, meaning the collective people of Christ. An important outworking of this truth is that since Christ is the head of the body of the church, he is the church's and the believer's first and final authority. We need to know that today. Because there will be people who come along and point you to books and some preachers and churches and religions that say, oh no, you need faith plus something else. You need the Bible and this other belief and this other practice. But you need to, you need to know and understand that an important truth about Jesus Christ being head of the church is that he is our first and final authority for all of life, for all of practice. It is critically important that we understand that because there is no authority for the church and the believer other than Christ. No one can come along and tell you to live in any other way than what God's word teaches. Not, not me, not your neighbor sitting next to you, no one else, no church you go to is, is allowed by God to tell you to live in some other way than what Jesus Christ and God's word tells you to live. See, anyone who comes along and makes him or herself head over the church is not working by God's appointment. You are a child of God because of Jesus Christ. If you have given your life to Christ, if you have confessed your sin and accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're a child of God because of Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross, not for anything you've done, not by keeping anybody's list of do's and don'ts but by accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and confessing that you are a sinner. You gain spiritual wisdom, which Paul prayed the Colossian believers would be filled with in verse 9 because of the work of Christ. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in you that allows you to gain and understand 
of spiritual wisdom that helps you to live Christ-like life. You may have teachers. I may teach you the things of Scripture, but it is because of Christ as a as head of the body, the church, the source of all wisdom, that you gain spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's not because of me. It's because of the Holy Spirit. Should God choose to use any of the words that I have for you, I want God's, God's words to be glorified coming from this mouth. I want God to be glorified. Should, should God choose to bless anything coming from my mouth, I want Him to have the glory. And that ought to be true of all of us as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with our loved ones. It ought to be so that God would get the glory. Paul emphasizes this truth in Colossians 2.19. Why don't you turn there with me briefly. Colossians 2.19, when warning them, when warning these Colossian believers not to be deceived, but to hold fast to the head of the church, he's basically warning them before verse 19 not to be deceived because those who are spreading falsehood are not, as verse 19 says, are not holding fast to the head the head of the church, Jesus Christ, from whom, and this is important, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Christ is the head of the church. He is the first and final source of all spiritual nourishment for every believer. And it is by and through Christ that the joints and the ligaments, I want you to picture the believers of the church when you think about the joints and ligaments of the body of Christ. It is by and through Christ that those joints and ligaments grow with a growth that is from God. Our spiritual growth is by the gift and grace of God. You ever struggle with trying to understand some spiritual truth, you're trying to dig through God's Word and you're, you're just struggling, you know. You pray, don't you? You ask God and you say, God, please help me to understand this. You should. Because it is through God's Holy Spirit that you're going to understand it. You can use your resources, you can use commentaries, you can use Bibles, but God is the final authority. He's the first authority. He's the final authority in whether or not you're going to understand that Scripture and properly apply it to your life. And it's by God's grace and as a gift of God that we have spiritual growth. There's nothing that we've done. Certainly, there's some effort that ought to come out of us, right? There ought to be some effort that we expel in trying to be Christ-like and learning from God's Word, but it is a gift of God. It's God's grace that we understand, and we're enlightened by the Holy Spirit. It's because of Jesus Christ, the head of the church, the head of the body. And it's only possible because, as Paul says, Christ is the beginning, meaning he is the founder of new life. Hebrews 2.10 says Christ is the founder of our salvation. And Hebrews 12.2 says Christ is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He's the founder of our new life. Now the church... Christ's followers also have the future promise of the resurrection that is only possible because of and through Christ's resurrection, the head of the church. That's what Paul means in verse 18 when he says that Christ is firstborn from the dead. 
Because on the third day Christ was raised from the dead, we also, as followers of Christ, have the hope and promise of being raised from the dead also. And that resurrection is only because of and through Jesus Christ. Paul even says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 14 and verse 17, that if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. That's if Christ had not been resurrected. But Christ has been resurrected. He has been raised from the dead, and it is because Christ is head of the church, and it is because Christ is firstborn from the dead, that we do not preach in vain, and our faith in Christ is not futile. And as Paul says in verse 18, because of this, Christ is preeminent. He is first. Christ is supreme over all things. Now, moving into verse 19, Paul indicates Christ's relationship to God. He says of Christ, verse 19, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now, how is God pleased to have his fullness dwell in Christ? It's kind of a challenging statement. Christ is fully God, right? He is. Christ was not made God by God. He is God. He was and is fully God, as Colossians 2.9 states, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. But how is it that God's pleasure is in Christ's demonstrating the fullness of God? I think the answer is seen in what follows in verse 20. It says, look at verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. God's pleasure is in being glorified by Jesus' demonstration of God's love for mankind. You see, Jesus was a bodily demonstration of God's love for mankind. Coming, living sinlessly, and then being sacrificed for our sins. A clear demonstration of God's love for mankind, and by that, God is greatly glorified. And that's only possible through Jesus Christ that we can be Reconciled to God. No one can reconcile themselves to God. That's the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the reconciler, God's appointed one who reconciles us by the blood of his cross. God is also glorified by Jesus Christ making peace between God and men. And that peace is only possible because of the blood of his cross. Jesus Christ was the only acceptable sacrifice for sins. And he was the only one that was required. This is the supremacy of Christ. This is the supremacy of Christ over and above all things. Jesus Christ, first over all things, supreme over everything. You see it? It's beautiful, isn't it? Jesus Christ, supreme over everything. Understand with me, would you, that Jesus Christ being supreme over everything, he ought to have first place in our lives, in our hearts, yes? 
Jesus Christ ought to have first place in our hearts. And if he does, it will show in the way we live, won't it? He'll have first place in our lives. We can say, I have Christ in my life, and I've trusted my life to Christ, and I've confessed my sin, and I have Jesus as my Savior. You can say that and live another way, can't you? If Jesus Christ is truly supreme, he ought to be supreme in your life, too. You ought to be supreme in the way that you live day by day. Jesus Christ had first place in the life of a lady by the name of Karen Watson. Karen Watson wrote her own epitaph. She was a Southern Baptist missionary to Iraq, and she was killed by unknown assailants on March 15th in 2004. Karen wrote a letter and left it behind in an envelope that said, Open in case of death. It said, in part, Dear Pastor Phil and Pastor Roger, she wrote back to her home church, You should only be opening this in the event of my death. When God calls, there are no regrets. I tried to share my heart with you as much as possible, my heart for the nations. I wasn't called to a place. I was called to him. To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory, my reward. She says it again. His glory, my reward. The missionary heart cares more than some think is wise. Risks more than some think is safe. Dreams more than some think is practical. Expects more than some think is possible. I was called not to comfort or to success, but to obedience. There is no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving him. I love you too and my church family in his care, Karen. And as Karen said, his glory, my reward. You can live like that because Jesus Christ is supreme. His glory, my reward. Pray with me. Father in heaven, our precious heavenly Father, we are so thankful for Jesus Christ. And we are so thankful for the blood of his cross. Father, thank you for showing us in your word how supreme and superior Christ is over all things. Because in Christ we have hope. Because in Christ we find great wisdom and great encouragement and great direction for our lives daily because we do face uncertain days and we do face difficulties and hardships and trial, but we can face them because of Jesus Christ. And so, God, we thank you for the love of Christ for the supremacy of Christ over all things, for Jesus Christ coming in human flesh, being born as a babe, living as a sinless man, and then taking the punishment for all of our sin, completely capable of doing so. The acceptable sacrifice, the final sacrifice for our sins. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. Help us to live with Jesus Christ in first place in our lives.
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.